Good afternoon, this is Gary Kavner here on TRSI. Today is Friday, it is the 4th of the 6th. I am here today with my friend and colleague Michael Dwyer. Michael, how are you? I'm not too bad, Gary, thank you very much. The Citizens' Assembly, Michael, on gender equality. No, 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 please don't. I know, I know, and it's it's got all the good things. It's got Catherine Day on it, who wrote that wonderful homelessness report that the department had to tear apart because it simply couldn't be done. But no, now she's actually, well, I say she, but... There's a question as to who to apportion blame to this to, and I'm not sure who. I would say it's probably Catherine Day, and I should probably explain why blame is to be given to someone. The final report from the Citizens' Assembly on gender equality came out there. Now, Citizens' Assembly, for those who don't know, are created by resolutions of the uh, Oireachtas. They lay out exactly what they are to look at. They control the form of it. They basically give it structure and are the only reason they exist at all. The Citizen Assembly on Gender Equality explained that they thought that the uh, the resolution that had created that particular Citizen Assembly was overly limiting in what they were told to talk about, and so that they had decided to take a broader view of the issue. Now, the issue in question is the resolution told them to look at gender equality and the issues affecting uh, men and women, boys and girls. They said that was exclusionary of those who are transgender or non-binary or things of that nature. And so they were going to expand it. Now, there are some people who are going to say, that's a very small difference. There are other people who are going to say, that's a good thing because we shouldn't exclude those people. Obviously, other people will say, that sounds like they're trying to minimize sex-based rights. You can take whatever position you want on that. That's not really the important thing here. The important thing here is this. The Citizens' Assembly explicitly and deliberately chose to extend its remit before, beyond the powers given to it by an Oireachtas resolution. It effectively decided that it was going to be a law unto itself and decide what it would cover. And Catherine Day headed that. Now, we can argue is that the fault of the members of the Citizens' Assembly? Is that the fault of Catherine Day as the one overseeing it? In something like this, I would say that Catherine Day should have very explicitly pointed out to people that you cannot do that. You cannot simply say, well, we don't like the law on which we were created, therefore we're going to substitute your own. That's not a right you have. You're not the government. You're not elected. But she didn't do that. And I would suspect that one of the considerations, Michael, as to why she didn't do that is, well, one, it's, it's going in the appropriate way this time. Although if you accept this principle, you've no way to control that in the future. And you could find citizen assembly on other issues going any which way. So you, if you accept the principle, you're probably going to be burned by it at some point. So it's going in the right direction, but also because there's going to be absolutely no consequence for her from this. In the same way, there was no consequence when she wrote a homelessness report that was absolutely clearly unimplementable. There is no consequence for failure, and there is now apparently no consequence for pretty actively contravening an Oireachtas resolution. The Citizens' Assembly is an ocean. Literally, that's what it is. It's a concept. It doesn't exist except as a concept. There is no, there's no, it has no history or precedence in, 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 in the state or in the constitution. It is just, it is an artifice, a conceit which was designed to give legitimacy to certain types of opinions, to confer on them a sense of inevitability by a careful management of both the evidence and the expertise and of the people present. The likelihood, Gary, that's in the end that it's going to come back and bite them because some somebody that they, some some citizens assembly is going to come out with some opinion or some position which is radically at odds with that of the government that set them up, to me seems to be like a very optimistic idea. They are set up and designed in order to produce a certain kind of outcome. And when you see them producing vote, votes at 97% in favour, 95, 98% in favour, seems to me they are, the government knows how to do these things now and it's doing them extremely well. Uh, you're not getting that kind of voting in North Korea. They know how to do these things. I'm just tired that they, I'm sick of them. I'm sick of the, their ridiculous, pathetic existence. They are nothing but a, an exercise in manipulation and propaganda. They create a false sense of authority, a sense of respectability, 
a sense, and most of all, the sense of, well, now it's been decided by the Citizens' Assembly. Decided by the Citizens' Assembly. Ran a bunch of randomers who are not even that fucking random, who have been put into a room together and been told things by a selection of experts who are far from random. And they've come out with every single time there's been a set. Gary, has there been a single decision by the Assembly which surprised you? Of any of these assemblies, point by point by point by point, beforehand, could you not have predicted exactly what every single one of their conclusions would be? No, and uh, I. So we know that the Citizens Assembly are not representative because Red Sea, when they did their review of it, said that they couldn't be representative, and they had told the government couldn't be representative. We know there are issues with the people it attracts because of the payment structure involved with it. We know that was also flagged as an issue and the government didn't fix it. It effectively seems like something which is structurally biased to produce particular outcomes. They exist to do this. They have a job to do. And that, uh, back whenever the first time, I remember we are talking about this, on the Mark, when Mark Coleman did a radio show, we were talking about this, and he said, this, is, this has been set up to do a job, it will do the job, and we, can, we don't even have to have it. Ask the questions now, there'll be 20 questions, we'll know what the result will be. And it has consistently been that way. They have never surprised us. They have never produced a result which was in any way uh, divergent from the job they've been given to do. They also have never produced a result which was, in a, which was consistent with polling at, the, at a national level. I mean, considering they're, they're picked up by, picked by a polling company. The kinds of questions that they're giving a response of 95% to, if you were to do a poll in the national poll, they wouldn't be anywhere near that. But anyway. No, I think my, my, my thing with these things is it's not, the Citizens Assembly is, is not the cause of any great despair. But we constantly see things like this, things that are distorted or corrupted in ways that give, that are more likely to give particular political responses. And they are ignored because they give the right political responses. And while I've never been a great fan of the Citizens' Assembly, and people might say, well, I don't like them because they give results I don't like, I've agreed with some of their results. I think the, the actual theory behind them is, is corruptive in a general sense. But this sort of stuff happens pretty constantly across Ireland, and it is corrosive to the actual systems that are meant to be impartial and hold up other things. And we seem to have this assumption that we can just do what we want with them, that we can corrupt them wildly, and there will never be any consequence to them. But there is always, eventually, a consequence. And if you're going to engage in behaviour which undermines what should be the foundations of quite important civic institutions, of course there's going to be a consequence, and of course it's going to be quite negative. I mean, here, we if I have seen no other reporting which has mentioned this about the Citizens' Assembly. They mention it in the fucking executive summary. Like, they are not trying to hide it. It's just not being reported. And if we accept the principle there that something created by an Oroctus resolution can, after its creation, decide actually we don't like the way we were set up, we're just going to do something different. Because that is the principle here. It's not about the Citizens' Assembly as such. It's about that. It's the mo this is the moment where the robot becomes conscious and decides to go off and be, be a human being. They've set this thing up and now this thing has decided to go off and be its own thing. And, I mean, we could, you could maybe say, well, it's not a major thing, it's, it's a small change. Okay, maybe so. But it is still a deliberate change that they themselves accept was not in the resolution. The weird thing, but the thing is, potentially, it might be a small change, but we don't actually know. It may be a very, it could be a very major change because what happens, we, because we now seem to be in this interminable cycle that this is how governments, I suppose that actually, I'm kind of hit, hitting you there. This is a, yet another example of the way the Irish government has gone, that in, again and again, they find ways of avoiding responsibility. The HSE is established to avoid the responsibility of taking responsibility for the healthcare in Ireland. So the minister could stand up and say, oh, I know nothing about that. That's the HSC. I don't know anything about that. That's the independent uh, guard commission. I don't know anything about that. Oh, we, we, we didn't suggest any of these ideas. This, this was the, uh, 
this is the citizens assembly again and again politicians are just find ways prophylactics that they can put on themselves to protect themselves from from being responsible for anything and this is another way of doing that but now that the the beast has woken has taken on to itself an attitude which it wasn't supposed to have yeah who knows when the next time the next beast that comes along we'll do it a little bit more and a little bit more <laughs> we end up with a semi little semi-parliament operating all of itself somewhere out in Manahide. and the thing is that the press will report it as that they won't report it as look at these mad cunts out in Manahide pretending like they no they won't they'll go oh the citizens assembly has said this oh how very interesting there is it is somewhat akin you know those things in in horror stories where one person is like you know there, there's a problem here and everyone else just doesn't see it and then suddenly everything is on fire mm-hmm. there is a little bit of do we not does no one else legitimately think that the principle we are now accepting and just not reporting on and not commenting on politically is problematic but Gary again I, I don't keep betting the dead horse they can't do because that this is built into the DNA of the this is not a glitch this is a design feature ultimately it seems to me because the, the citizen assembly in and of itself it hasn't why is it we it is a it is this erratic form of a doll but we why do we need it we have a doll we have a citizens assembly where all the citizens in the country get the chance to come out and vote uh, and send people back to a room in Dublin to just to get together and decide on how the country's going to be run. This is this is an artificial version of that which has been created by those people, and now it's it's been it's a little a little mini clone, and now it's gone off and done something itself. It was the 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 basic thing itself is flawed, is wrong, but we've but it was accepted from the beginning that this oh that's, we'll do that. And now it's going off and doing things, and they, they won't. Until, until Gary, it does what you were saying, until it comes back and says something unspeakable, at which point it will become a disreputable and illegitimate organ. organ. But who knows how long that will take. I mean, it does also speak to an incredible level of fucking arrogance and self, uh, and, and view of self. Whatever about if they had been able to massage it, so it was within the resolution, but perhaps, a, you know, a recontextualization but they themselves openly accept that this was not what the resolution told them to do and they've gone beyond it so to just to not only do it but to then just say it and simply say well we did that because we thought we were better at it we we knew best so we did it and like what's your what's your problem here why is there a concern well actually there is no concern because no one else is saying it I would also point out at this point that Catherine Day, the last time I checked, did sit on the on the trust that oversees the Irish Times, so they might have a bit of an issue reporting on it. Yeah, no, it's a breath. I would say it was breathtaking arrogance. It's absolutely predictable arrogance, considering the source of the arrogance. But it is, yeah, it is arrogant, arrogant in the extreme. Anyway, moving on from that to a story we mentioned uh, last week about the, the Belarusian situation with the journalist being picked up, I can now very happily tell you that that situation has been resolved, that that journalist has come out and has said he's seen the error of his ways. He had a, a tearful video confession where he said, Michael, that he now sees that what Lushenko is doing is right and he can respect him as a man. Now, Gary, I know, I know you're this I'll be left waiting and it'll be... Uh called in hell before they'll do it. But an awful lot of people came out when this happened with an awful lot of unfounded and ill-informed criticisms of the government of Belarusia and the pers- personal attacks on the, the leader of Belarusia and the Belarusian pe- people. And I think that this interview with this man, uh, who was so upset by what he'd done in the past, visibly upset, I would say, about the lies that he had told, that he was crying and... Um, he seemed to have been self-harming, Gary, almost. I mean, there were burn, what looked like sort of abrasions and burns on him where he'd been just beating himself around the place. You know, I, I, I hope that, Gary, the people over here who have been criticism, being so vociferous in the criticism of Belarus and Lushenko, will come out and admit that they were wrong. Yeah, I mean, people did point to the video where there seemed to be marks and, 
the inside of his wrist where you normally wouldn't see anything that could be indications of I mean people were saying maybe that's a, a burn maybe that's something from restraints but Michael it could have simply been a, a trick of the light and what we have here Michael is a person explicitly saying clearly and unambiguously that he was wrong and are we going to discount what that man is saying simply because of some figment of our imaginations I don't think that's fair at all. I think we've got to recognise his personal autonomy and believe that what he said was what he believes. Yeah, and also, and after this, he's the most dreadful ethnocentric projecting of some kind of hierarchical superiority of of a Western league, a Western liberal democrat, democratic legal culture, onto another country which is operating within a different cultural paradigm. I think it's a gross example, if you like, of a colonialist mindset. This man has spoken, spoken clearly, spoken expressly, explicitly, and I think the man deserves to be listened to. Hashtag, I believe him. I mean, we also have some human rights organisations coming out, but most of them are untrustworthy, Michael. Who knows who's paying for them? Probably the China insider. I mean, there were, yes, over the past few years, there have been many stories of violence and brutality in some of these detention centres. Again, Michael, these are people who would say those things. Agent provocateurs. It'll be interesting to see how long he has to stay inside the system. He's obviously in need of care. And uh, it'll be interesting to see how long the Belarusians decide to keep to keep caring for him. Yeah, I mean, I, I think we can all hope that, um, you know, having admitted his fault, that the regime will be uh, will be merciful towards him. And that we can all put this sorry state of affairs behind us, Michael, and move back to the glory of the Lyshenko regime. And that plane, and all the planes can happily go back flying over Belarusia, rather than having to take the, uh, the long way around over Poland. Yes, and children can happily run through the cornfields, that, that sort of stuff. That's what I imagine Belarus is like. It's mostly a combination of children running through cornfields and weapons manufacturing in old Soviet industrial towns. Certainly a lot, lots of cornfields. Big, big corn. I sometimes imagine, the other thing, I imagine, if you think of Belarus and corn, think of tanks as well. I think probably a lot of tanks went through those cornfields. No man who rules that many cornfields could be evil. <laughs> I wasn't aware there, there was a scientific kind of correlation. Oh, it's, it's well studied, Michael, in the literature. There's substantial literature on it. Is it right? It's mostly produced by Belarusian academics, though, so I mean, you know. Ukrainians as well, according to Ukraine as well. Uh, is, there a, is, there a, is there an inverse? Like, is, can, is there a, an evil predictor? Large numbers of apple orchards or something? You know, I, I, uh, rice? No, no, not rice. A lot of rice in China, that couldn't work. Sorghum? It's probably bananas. Anyway, we just wanted to, to, to close the, the, the book on that as we brought it up in the last episode. It's good to see it resolved uh, in everyone's interest. In Scotland, there has been a bit of an issue with their hate crime laws. Now, this is, of course, in, of interest in Ireland because we are currently implementing, or planning to implement, hate crime laws of exactly the same type. From what we've seen of the general scheme of the bill, there will be no protections given to cultural or political or, or speech of that type, which is exactly the problem that they have run into in Scotland. And they were told this was going to happen. Well, it looks like it's happened. They, they were told it was going to happen, guy, and they said, no, 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 typical right-wing, fear-mongering, blah, blah. How, I mean, it not only happened, it happened basically within hours of the thing becoming law. I, I wonder how, how long is are we going to let our friends on the left away with this thing where everything that you ever say might happen and it inevitably does happen. They, no, no, scaremongering. Why are people going to wake up? So this lady is a, she's a, fe, what you say, she's a feminist, prominent feminist and women's rights campaigner. And she has been charged under the Malicious Communications Act for tweets she put up in 2019 and 2020 and is facing a maximum of two years in jail if convicted. The material was allegedly homophobic and transphobic. Now, Michael, before we go into that, I just think, do you know what's really going to build a unity in society? Yeah. It's if you say something that the state deems to be unacceptable about particular groups, 
if you could face imprisonment. Because that will definitely cause, you know, when people can't openly say it, they'll stop thinking about it. And it definitely won't give rise to any deep simmering resentment about certain groups. If you make a law and say you're not allowed to say or publish that that sentiment, we know this from psychology, that what happens is that sentiment just goes away. People think and feel differently because the idea that by telling people that what they feel is a perfectly reasonable and legitimate thing to feel and isn't in fact an incitement or a statement or a regard of hate or or violence or, or contempt, but rather just simply an attempt to defend the rights of individuals that they, they care about. And you tell them that that is not just contemptible, but actually illegal. The idea that that would cause long simmering resentment, despite that we, that could polarize or divide. Well, I think that's seems to be very unlikely, but this is what is coming. This is what your government is doing. Your government is going to pass this into law. And not one fucker over here, bar two gobshites on the radio that you're listening to now, and maybe one or two others, I don't know. There are one or two others. Are, are saying anything about it? Yeah, I, the thing in England that was interesting was civil society groups came out against the hate speech law, and academics did, and they pointed out the risks and the dangers. Because, you know, there, there's a, a serious group of people there, and people treat these things seriously in other countries. Here, I... Uh, I don't know if I've talked before, but the Evan Burke Institute put in a submission on it saying that this was a terrible idea and quite a length, quite detailed. And so we were invited to the the private NGO discussion on this. And coming out of that discussion, and I can't go into the specifics of it because obviously it was, it was done in a fashion where you were asked not to do so. I didn't come out of that with a with a view that these NGOs, these prominent NGOs that were there and say they are concerned with civil liberties, gave a single solitary shit about them. There was no... The, the only question that was asked that in any way related to a limitation that could or should be put upon this bill came from me. There was one other academic who asked about the definition of women. Uh, and was it sex or gender based? The de- sorry, no, 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 Gary, sorry. I'll just repeat that so people don't... This was the in a discussion about what was how we were going to police people's re- speech in the future. The only other question that was asked was, what was the question, Gary? Well, the only other question that was in any way like about the limit sir, was whether or not women should would be understood as gender or sex based. That was the concern. We deserve to die. We all, as a culture, as a civilization, if this is where we are, we deserve to go under the sands like Ozymandias. It's fucking ridiculous. Yeah, so we, I, I'm not aware of any major civic institution or even most individual academics who have come out publicly against the hate speech laws in Ireland. So we'll get what Scotland got, but we will basically have no argument against it. No, we think it's a good thing. Ron Atkinson, would I would say, is a fairly major figure in the world of entertainment. Other than the fact he has a very long standing comedic career as a stand-up, then he, in the in the roles of both Black and Blackadder and Mr. Bean, two of the most important successful comic creations of the day, also a man who drives a car very fast and very wealthy. Among he was one figure amongst many others who led a cult from the from from the arts and from culture from academia who led a campaign in the United Kingdom. Here, have we had anybody from the arts, anybody from academia, anybody from comedy? I, maybe they have spoken, but I haven't heard them. If so, if you've, anybody out there has heard of somebody making a statement on this, expressing a, a care or concern about this, send it, send us, send in the, the name and the details. Maybe we'll talk to them because it's dispiriting the lack of, Maybe they don't care. Maybe they think it's a good thing. Maybe they think that we all need to be controlled. There's too much damn talking and too much damn freedom. People are being upset and offended. It's... Do you know the, the tweet that seems to be the tweet that got her? Go on. It include, well, the tweet stream. One of the tweets that was... was when she tweeted out a picture of a suffragette ribbon. Is one of the tweets which is included in the, in the tweet stream that switch been clear. A suffragette ribbon. I mean, we are now. That's if you're. If we are now gone and 
the sage were, were like the Romans, looking at the flight of birds or the state of the, the liver of the sacrificed animal to be able to divine the meaning of the future. If you can divine hate in a picture of a suffragette ribbon and that that hate is there for it, it, such a nature that it deserves criminalization. Oh, yes, yeah, someone saw the ribbon and claimed that it could be mistaken for a noose. Jeez. That's their problem. Not the problem of the picture. If she, that's what they see. That's their problem. But that's the. But as we know from our conversation with this, the problem with so much of this law, it, it is deliberately framed to be subjective. That it is the perception of the person notionally offended, notionally damaged, that is important, rather than necessarily the concrete reality of the thing. Yeah, so her case is up on the 14th of July in Scotland. You probably won't see too much about it, as now that the case is active, a contempt of a contempt laws will be in effect in Scotland. So it may be mentioned, but you're probably not going to hear uh, too much. But it is going to be somewhat of a test case on this. It seems quite spurious. Anyway, this is a this is a this is a a, a criminal case coming. To come into court near you very soon. Mm. Just don't say we didn't tell you. No, and then we get to look forward to it happening in Ireland as well. So, on the Finnafal is having a little bit of trouble in Dublin Bay South. But I'm interested in this. Uh, for those who haven't heard, Deirdre Conroy had uh, a little blog, a little private blog, detailing her uh, concerns, her trials, her tribulations as a landlord. And in it, she made, Michael, shall we say, a number of uh, colourful comments regarding what you could rent to people, stopping people from cooking, uh, comments about ethnicities that you should rent to, perhaps. She's, she's very upset about the smell of boiled rice. Which I, that left me slightly... I mean, there are lots of things that you can boil that don't leave... Boiled rice? Does boiled rice have such a terrible and difficult and pungent smell? Boiled rice that boiled something else. I can't remember what it was. And this was associated, uh, allegedly, uh, it, this one was reported as being associated, with a, a tenant she had from Latvia. Well, my actual interest here is is not so much in Conway at all, but is in Finnefall. Like Finnefall missed all this, and she also is bringing a... Um, a personal injury case to the high courts based on her issues with skiing. Yes, and she, she said that if it hadn't been for an accident, a ski accident, she would not have needed a complete uh, hip replacement. And for some reason, the uh, this has caused I don't, online such a great degree of hilarity, and it's, it's, it, it, it has become symbolic of something. I'm not exactly sure. What it's symbolic of. Is there a sense, Gary, do you think that this is resonating with a an, in, an injury claim made by a, a, a lady TD from another political party? Yes, I, I think there is a, a sort of, when people are talking about it, there is a, an insinuation that there is something suspect about the claim. Now, no evidence has been provided for that, but I think that is the direction it's being taken in. But how did Finnafon miss these things? I mean, this this would come up in basic due diligence that you would look into before selecting a candidate. I mean, the blog's Facebook page clearly stated that she ran it. So either they asked and she didn't tell them and then they didn't check or they didn't ask and they didn't check, which seems incredibly negligent. Like, this is not the first time this has happened. At this point, you should be looking Google the people you are having run for you. I suppose it depends. I mean, how much you, how much time and effort are you willing or are you capable of? In the United States, if you were running for Congress, the kind of support system you'd had, you'd have to run for Congress would would be like what five people in a five seat constituency running for five would would have here. I mean, Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael, the Lord, Sinn Féin, well, Sinn Féin Islamia has maybe a different, more complete support, larger support structure. But they, the heritage parties, particularly these days, with the, they don't have the money they did, they don't have the volunteers they used to. 
I don't know how much proper, if you like, negative vetting they are able to do, Gary. They will have an interview with Miss Conroy and they'll say to her, now, is there anything online? You know, do you do anything online? Do you have a presence there? Is there anything that we should be worried about? I have a blog, but I listen, I never say anything in this controversy. I'm very well aware. I'm a, She's a counsellor, isn't she? Uh, it's not like she's just been plucked like a virgin from the heart, from from the um, from behind the walls of the convent and thrown into the world of politics. That she, there would be an assumption that she's an awareness of what's sensitive and what isn't, and she'd have said to her, ah, "No, there's nothing on that." And when saying that, perfectly well believe it. Well, then again, maybe in Dublin Bay South, this isn't actually anything of uh, of dispute. No, it may not be. Gary, do you think that the, do, do you think the comment, such as it was, would cause a great deal of kerfuffle in any Irish household, which is comparable to the kerfuffle it creates in the world of the Irish media? No, no. I think it's the thing in certain demographics. People would say publicly that's absolutely terrible and reprehensible, and privately either wouldn't care or would sort of go, "Well, I could see where she's coming from." I can't imagine that this is going to fall within the category of the top five reasons why anybody would give that that they voted for or they didn't vote for th- th- that candidate. But it's just, in a funny in a way, I think it's the uh, the ski story is probably worse for her because it's not it's not about the story itself, but more a sense of a it feeds into a wider perception about politician, politicians is not really not the facts of the case but what people will feel it means it's oh it's the, it's the same thing again it's the usual story and maybe com- probably it's been completely different and perfectly entitled and perfectly correct to do what she's doing but it feeds into a well-established perception which was fed into by the most notorious example recently and that's probably more damaging to her. But, I mean, I know that you're saying, listen, they need to be more professional. The world, but how how much time can you spend on a candidate? And how do you know what's going to be a problem? That's the other question, Gary, isn't it? You can read something. How do you know what's going to be a problem? Because if you write anything, unless you write continuous, anodyne, Pap, surely you're going to say something which, given the right moment and with the right twist and the right out of context, you can make it sound like a thing. Right, you see, Michael, here's, here's the thing. It takes a lot of time to go through a great deal of material in detail, which is why if you don't have time, that's not what you do. You just go nuclear. You get rid of all of it. So tweets, things like that, delete everything. Delete everything older than two weeks. Set it up so it auto-deletes anything that gets older in two weeks. Blogs, just bin them. If there is actually something problematic there, don't bin the blog entirely. Then you pull out the problematic things and delete them. That's the accepted way of how to do this. And you, you do that because it's less of a sign that something has gone wrong. If I say I do that, there will be somewhere, there'll be, though, the, even the pages I've deleted, will there not be an archive version of those somewhere? Well, you see, here's the thing. People assume far more is archived than actually is. And archiving software is, most of it is publicly available. Most people are just going to use the Internet Archive's ability to archive. And you can go there yourself and you can see if those pages are archived beforehand. Now, if they are archived, then you don't delete them, you amend them so that it doesn't even trigger that something has been removed. Right. Yes, then the archive is still there and they could go back and they could find it. But the chance of them picking that story that is totally anodyne in the present and going back to see if it ever said anything problematic is is quite unlikely. It's all about risk minimization here uh, and curtailing potential uh, issues. My my thing with this, like this this is by the way is all basic. This is all the sort of thing that I mean you would expect any candidate to do. Irish parties generally don't do it, and we've seen story after story coming from it, and yet they don't seem to have any interest in doing these things. Despite the fact that, as I said, yes, you can put massive amounts of time and effort into them, you can bring in professionals to do it, 
but a simple in-house policy would solve 99% of these issues before they ever arose. But they just don't do it. My, the, 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 my interest here, and I don't know this, is was Deirdre Conroy picked by the constituency, Jim O'Callaghan, or Michal Martin? Because here's the thing. The Dublin Bay South by-election, they were never going to win the seat. There's no assumption they can win the seat. It's an option for Jim O'Callaghan to go out. He has the votes to replace Michal Martin, or at least he did and show that he is competent and he can handle these things and come home with a respectable result. So it's important to Jim O'Callaghan. If Jim O'Callaghan is the person primarily responsible for Deirdre Conroy running, and it's important to him and to his hope to become future leader, why the fuck wasn't this better done? And he is also director of her election. Yes, yeah, so he is immediately the person to blame here. So if he, if this actually damages her and she gets a terrible result... That reflects badly on Jim O'Callaghan and his ability to lead the party. It could actually have substantial negative impact on his future. And maybe this is the fact that Jim O'Callaghan is is double-jobbing and he's not paying attention where he should be. Conway Conway has very much a sort of Michal Martin candidate feel to her, but I'd be interested to see how involved he was. She is a good candidate for the area she's in. She is very much of that type. But if Michal Martin wasn't involved in picking Conroy, and he hasn't been involved in the actual uh, the running of the candidate, then he might be feeling pretty good at the minute, because O'Callaghan is, is the person who's most likely to take him out. And if O'Callaghan cannot run a single by-election, well, how does he plan to run the party? It's purely coincidence, I know. But it just, it's one of those curious things, isn't it? That the first couple of weeks, it was all about small non-stories about Gagan, local in-party dissatisfaction with Gagan and social media contretemps about Gagan. Now they've moved on and the last few days it's been stuff about the Fianna Fáil guy, about Conroy. I'm curious, is it, will, will Lynn Boylan get the same? Yes, probably she will. Well, you're, you're missing one step between those two things, Michael. What's that? In between those two things, the article saying that Ivana Batchik was a good chance for that seat. A great chance. In the in the face of otherwise disappointing polling results for Labour, Ivana starring. Did you see her do you see her badges by the way? I haven't seen the badges. There's Ivana on a bike or Ivana standing behind beside a bike. Do you remember the Fina Fall posters from the election directly after the crash? Where, by law, if you're a Fianna Fáil candidate and you put a Fianna Fáil sponsor post, you have to have a party name on them somewhere in the publishers, you know, if you're standing as a party candidate. Generally speaking, the words Fianna Fáil had disappeared to a size that you really had to be up close and personal with the poster before you could read it. I, 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 I don't know why, but I, I, I kind of reminded of that, looking at the uh, some of the material I've seen from Ivana, the Labour Party not getting much of a big, not getting much of a shout out from from Ivana there. It's very much, if it, this campaign is very much all about selling Ivana. Not, and Ivana's a brand. As much as, there's not many politicians, not maybe, maybe another dozen politicians in Ireland who have a brand as strong as Ivana. I mean, it feels like she's been around a long time. She has been prominent for a long time. She's been on our television and our radios for a long time. Never been successful in her attempts to be elected to the doll. But, uh, She's still a very strong brand. And I suppose, for example, Social Democrats. There are quite a few Social Democrats. Social Democrats do very well in Dublin. If you look at the polling from the national polling when they break them down to Dublin, Social Democrats doing well in Dublin. And I imagine that a constituency like Dublin, uh, Dublin Bay South, fairly sub- fairly decent Social Democrat pre- presence. You don't want Labour would be maybe a bit alienating for them, a bit recent history. But she's definitely, definitely selling... Ivana more than she's selling the party. Yeah, that story will be the big story. It'll be Gagan, it'll be a Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael. Nah. Ivana doing terribly well. Lynn Boylan. Lynn Boylan, it'll be photographs of Lynn Boylan putting plastics in her general rubbish bin, Gary. Not that I'm suggesting that happened, nor would it ever happen, because I'm not, I don't want a defamation in my hands. But your doctored photographs suggesting that she mixed her recycling or something something horrible like that. If Martin had no hand in picking Conroy, I wonder if he's feeling pretty happy right now. Like, they were never going to get the seat anyway. Does Michal Martin give you the impression of a man that's very happy about anything? 
I think I once saw him smile. I remember the time that Mihal used to look like a cheerful kind of chap. Back in the days when he was Minister for Health and leading the fight against smoking in bars. And it was all all good old good times. Good times, Gary. That was when Martin was trying to get the things he wanted. And he had things to smile about. But now he's gotten the things he wanted. And there don't seem to be too many smiles. Ah, we see there's, that's the great story, isn't it? That's the great story. What happens? What happens when we realise our dreams? What happens when we get what we want? That's when you realise, Gary, you have to turn to the Buddha. It's also one of those things, like you spend years telling yourself that all of these things are stopping me from doing it, but when I get there, I'm going to be amazing, I've got all these good ideas, I'm going to you know, go down in history as, as an excellent Taoiseach, and then unfortunately reality gives you the opportunity to perform and you realise you're actually very bad at it. Cursed be the man, Michael, who life has given the opportunity to prove his own inabilities. Could be pithier for as axioms go, but... Well, I mean, obviously you need to workshop these things, Michael. You're not going to come out with a good axiom right off the top of your head. I know, you have to work on them. He's like Winston Churchill said, you all my best off-the-cuff remarks I've prepared for days before. As the actual, probably the, the most important thing on the show, Michael, government emergency powers, they have voted, they are continuing. They are continuing for a while. Who could have imagined that the government would not immediately hand back because there's something happening in Limerick Gary I mean Michael if only had someone had ever warned us about the danger of the permanency of a temporary government measure <laughs> yeah <laughs> if, that, if that had ever happened that things that might that were meant for meant to be temporary could become permanent nobody would have believed them Gary who no no madness this madness that that way so the the emergency powers have been extended until November that is, despite the... Comp- What's the line on vaccines now, Michael? That by September, everyone who wants a vaccine will have been offered one? That's the line. Yes, that is the line. Then again, remember, June was the line for something else, and that doesn't seem like it's going to happen. Depends if... Uh, oh, God, there surely will be plenty of vaccines by then. We'll be overrun with vaccines by then. And then, of course, there's a rollover of up to three months if they want, at that point. So technically this can go to February of next year. Yeah, and will. So TD is trying to put in sunset clauses uh, for September. Now, for those who aren't aware, a sunset clause is a clause in a bill which says, at this point, the bill is terminated. It's, it no longer binds. They were rejected. Uh, there were calls that if they wanted to roll over to February, there would be a need for a full review and for justification. That didn't uh, go true. What was interesting, Michael, is every opposition party voted against it. Now, you might think that's what opposition do, but actually in relation to COVID, that's not what opposition have done. We have seen an opposition that is willing to vote for pretty much anything the government puts its name on in the name of COVID, but not this. It's an oddity, isn't it? But they've all rode behind. You know it's bad when you have the communists standing up and saying that this is a an undue extension of state power. We had emergency legislation here after the first, after the the outbreak of the Second World War, which, <laughs> uh, which some listeners may not know, the Second World War in Ireland was called the emergency. Hugh Leonard once said that he said he felt it was a name that had been inspired by a headline somewhere, which was war in Africa, war in Asia, war in Europe, Ireland gravely inconvenienced. But, I think you, you you might find that the emergency legislation of the emergency powers, at least some of them, that were gar- taken up by the government after uh, the outbreak of the, the Second World War, continued quite a bit after the uh, Second World War was well and truly ended. So we will see. There were three hours scheduled for this debate of giving mm-hmm. the government, or allowing the government to continue, extremely wide-ranging emergency powers. Yeah. At that point, there were 60 amendments that had been put forward for this bill, Michael. Three were debated. At the end of the three hours, there was no time left for the minister to even respond to any of them. It was guillotined, went to a vote. Not, uh, some might say, Michael, that demonstrates some sort of democratic deficit. I tell you, it is increasingly the behaviour of a government. When it comes to areas and subjects which, which you would have thought deserve and need very substantial discussion and debate. They get fuck all, and yet other areas where there doesn't seem to be a, a particularly 
grave question for the national interest or for the rights of citizens. Debate can go on for a day and a half or two. There have been the speed at which governments in the last few years have acted on certain types of certain pieces of legislation has been breathtaking. They've moved with a speed that you didn't think they were capable of moving. But that's not a good thing. Uh, when the, what this effectively is doing is either denying a proper debate, which is really an opportunity for people in the dog to embarrass the government by picking apart the incoherence and the inconsistencies of what they're offering to the people and to demand proper explanations for why the basic freedoms and basic rights are being denied them, as opposed to when they want to get a piece of legislation, if you like, in under the cover of darkness, when nobody notices and nobody's going to talk about it, which is what they have done several times in the last number of years. It's, it's fucking shameful. Donnie was asked where he stood in the amendments and would he accept any of them. And he said, well, they all have to be debated on their individual merits. And then after three hours, the, it was gullotined. So basically, you can talk for three hours. You can debate their merits, but we're just going to run the clock and there will be no amendments added to this because we have the numbers. And it was brought up repeatedly about the vaccination totals, that if we're saying that, you know, by September, that everyone is going to have one, 80% of people will have one by the end of June. Yes. We are going back to normality. Why do we need these powers until February? And that was asked of them as well when they brought this to the Shannon. And as Alan Kelly quite rightfully pointed out, they were unable to give a reason why they actually needed these powers. Yeah. Which is always wonderful, Michael. Like We need emergency-level powers that will allow us to do things that, looking at their past behaviour, have been, I would maybe not pretty clearly, but quite convincingly, arguably unconstitutional. And, well, we can't tell you why we need them. It's not a great standard to have. Just, we, we need these powers because we can have these powers. And, you know, we might need them at some point. Well, we don't know why we'd need them, but we might need them. And sure, you know, it's better to have them uh, and not use it than need it and not have it. It's kind of depressing when you're talking to a politician in Ireland realise that you have to explain to them that the basic default position of a civilised democratic society is what is permissive. Now, people think permissive society, they associate that with the 60s and everybody having sex. Permissive means the basic principle is... Unless there is a good reason, anything, everything is, is to the citizen permitted. The government doesn't have the, have, has, does not have an interest in, nor does it have the right to start regulating your life about areas that it, that do not touch or impinge on other citizens. So there has to be a good reason. What is not forbidden, everything is permitted. You don't, you don't need a permission from the government. So if there's no law about something... Now, what we have seen here is, in the face of a pandemic crisis, massive suspensions of freedoms, in a sense, not not because the permission was suspended, but rather we have banned them because these are things that which, in normal circumstances, you would do because they're their natural right to do them. In a normal functioning society, in a normal democracy, these things would last only and barely and as briefly as they were necessary. It is very hard for me to see precisely what practical, functional reason this government can give, because it hasn't given it yet, to maintain these powers. If and when, if and when there is another crisis moment in this pandemic, if that happens, Gary, what is to stop them to go back into the doll and to be voted again emergency powers? Why can't that? Why 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 is that not a possibility? Why is that not? Surely that's how they should be done. You get these powers when you need them, not on the basis that we better keep them just in case we need them. That's ridiculous. That's not how this. That's not how this is supposed to work. You you don't get to go around uh, having. You don't get to. Okay, I've got hold of a gun, and I've got hold of the gun on the basis that for the next twenty four hours. I, my life is, is, is in danger because some lunatic is going to kill me. The lunatic is captured and is tucked away somewhere safely. I don't get to keep the gun on the basis that somewhere that maybe he might get he might, might he might get out of. I just I, I, I have an image of Michal Martin with like a book of children's you know, Aesop's fables. Yeah, you know, the, the the squirrels and the grasshoppers, Michael. Yeah, where the squirrels store their nuts away for the winter and are therefore fine 
while the other animals are off having fun and they starve to death during the winter. Yes. Except the nuts are unitary executive power of control. It's just better to have them than not have them. Well, it is if you're me, Al Martin, but it's not if you're me. If you're me, I say, no, you you get the, you give them back. You give them back right now. Are you using them? No. Well, then you give them back. If you're not using them, you give them back. And if you are using them, you have better bloody good reason. No, of course, they're not going to be interrogated about why they're using them at any particular time. Because God knows what would happen. <laughs> what do they do? They think... <laughs> they, they put barriers around the bandstand in, in, Stevens, in Stevens Green, right? There are, as we are constantly told, marauding gangs of young people tramping around the uh, centre of Dublin. But, but we all know, Gary, we all know what the response of a large phalange of young people is to the site of a of a of a of a security protected bandstand, don't we? I think that we have a general line that uh, young people, not maybe even people in Ireland, Michael, if you put the words forbidden in front of something, it immediately becomes more appealing. Isn't it funny the way forbidden fruit sounds as much nicer kind of fruit than five a day? Yeah, I mean, like if you're a kid and someone's like, "Do you want to go to the bandstand?" You'd be like, "Why would I go to the bandstand?" It's a bandstand. But someone, do you want to break into the forbidden bandstand? Well, that's a day out. I mean, I've, I've been through the Crean, I don't know in my life how many times, and the bandstand has stood there empty. I've never seen so many people swinging in it and around it and off it. When it was, when, except on this occasion, because they had decided to put up these, these barriers around it. It is... It's sad that this is the only form of anarchic re- response or reaction that we've seen so far in the country, is the, the great the battle of the Stephen Green bandstand. I would hope that if things got a little bit worse, the pikes that are hidden in the thatch might be found, the old gut, the old muskets would be, would be dug up, and an assault would be made on Kildare Street. I do have to, I do have to give Pater Tobin a shout-out for the uh, when they were discussing the bill, Michael, for the most daddish joke I've seen in a good while on the doll record. So he said that uh, he thought, you know, the, the concerns about the variant, about new variants, w- was very prescient, but that the doll seemed to have been infected with a new variant, the doll variant, which was uh, apparently had a high level of lethality to common sense. Whoa! <laughs> oh dear! Yeah, I think he, I think he needs a new joke writer, Gary. I think he gets he needs to get somebody in there. That's a my friends say I'm funny line. Oh yeah, all my friends say I'm very funny. I'm mad. I am mad. But I mean, it's a solid dad joke, I suppose, and he got it onto the doll records. So something to be said there. And you've just mentioned it now, so you know it's doing its job. Anyway, we will be back on. Um, we might be back on Sunday. We have a, uh, re- we have an interview recorded with uh, Professor Theo Bohr, uh, an expert in euthanasia. That may go up on Sunday. We're, we're still just handling the editing on that. So we may be here on Sunday, or his interview may be here. Uh, if it's not up on Sunday, it'll be up early next week anyway. But we will see you then. Okay. Bye-bye.